Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as they are going, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We've been working our way through this letter to Timothy. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, one of the things that we have been talking about is the legacy that was handed on to Timothy. We talked about this, where, where Paul writes about the faith that was passed down to him, first from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Uh, Keith Kemper last week talked to us about his father Bruce and gave us an example of the legacy that was given to him. And what I want to do as we begin this morning is, for, if you grab a sheet of paper, you have your bulletin, or there's no paper in front of you, I encourage you to just grab grab one of those, get out a pencil that is, should also be in the pew in front of you, or a pen or something, and write, I would love if you were to take just a, a minute and to write down a name of one person who has been instrumental in the development of your own faith. It could be a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be a, a friend, it could be someone that that was a youth pastor or somebody that has been meaningful, instrumental in, at some point in your life, you say that person was one of the reasons why my faith is what it is today. So just take take a minute to write that down. And let's let's begin with some prayer as well. God, as we open your word together as your church, we thank you for these people, these names, uh, people who, in the grand scheme of things, in uh, in our world, were probably not super important. Uh, maybe some of them were, but but in our lives have made significant impact, and we thank you for the ways in which you have used their faithfulness to challenge us, to encourage us. We pray now as we open your word together that our hearts may be open to the things that you have to say to us through your word, and that we may be sensitive to what it is that you're doing. pray this in your name. Amen. I remember it was my freshman year of high school, and my family was living in Bolivia, and I remember Bill Rigg came down and spoke at our school. We had, kind of similar to what the students are doing right now, we had like a, a retreat that we did, and and I remember I was sitting in the gymnasium, probably what would have been over in this area if this was a gym. And, and I remember, I don't remember anything that Bill said. I don't remember anything about that. But what I remember is that something that, that was being spoken triggered in me. And, and it, the, the, I mean, I'd grown up in church. My dad was a pastor and then we were missionaries. But there was something 
that happened at that time where I said, oh, this is something that I decide for myself. And I remember feeling this pull towards, toward this, towards taking my faith seriously, not as just something that we did, but I remember being challenged and I remember making that choice to, to follow Christ in a way that was different from the choice that I had made as a, as a cubby when I was four. I, I don't think the choice that I made as a cubby didn't count, but I think it was a, it was another step. It was another direction in which God had been working in my life. And I remember that, that, that happened and it wasn't, it was probably about a month later that, uh, I got caught sneaking out of school and, uh, with a friend of mine who, and, and doing, making some choices that were very unlike the decision that I had made a month previously. And I got in a lot of trouble and, and, but one of the things that I remember about that is that my friend, so I, I snuck out of school with my friend who lived pretty close to, to where our school was. And I think we just like, I don't know what weird, where we went, but I remember that she, my friend's mom found me, uh, sometime in the midst of the consequences that we're receiving. And she sought me out and she said, I heard that you made that choice. I started getting emotional now. Uh, I heard that you made that choice. A month ago, and I don't know about my son and the choices that he's making with his life. I didn't expect this was going to um, But you have made a decision to be serious about this. And, and the choices that you're making now don't line up with the choice that you made. And, and that didn't change a whole lot in my life at the time. Like, I still uh, made a lot of foolish choices through high school and probably through my adult life as well. But I remember that moment of somebody coming to me and saying, I mean, there's there's the big moment where someone is speaking and you are... Uh, and you're at this retreat and your heart is stirred. But it's also those small moments of people who speak into your life. Like, I don't remember her name. I don't remember much about her, but she challenged me. And and as we come to, to the story of Timothy this morning, I think if you... I don't think that my experience is unique of faith. That oftentimes we would describe our journey as Christians as, as not a straight line up trajectory. That like we've made a decision and now it's like from here to there we're, we're on our way up. But there's ebbs and flows, right? Would you agree with me in your own experience? That there are times where we are very serious about our commitment. And then there are other times where we find it's easy, we find ourselves making choices that we know we shouldn't be making. And there are these ups and downs to to the story of our faith. 
And we need people around us to keep us in check, right? This is, this is one of the reasons why we gather every Sunday and why we're a part of a church, why we don't just worship through the songs that we listen to on the radio and we download the podcast from whatever preacher we want to listen to, but we gather together as a church because we need each other. And we've talked about this before. And this is what I want to look at with Timothy today because Paul is writing to Timothy and he's challenging him and he's encouraging him and he's reminding him. So if you're, if you've opened your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, start, we're going to start in verse 13 today. He says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So Timothy is in Ephesus. He's a pastor, he is a pastor there. And so Paul is relating these connections to these people. But, but he begins with this. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And it's important for us to think about what is it that Timothy heard from Paul. We're told in Acts chapter 16, it's on Paul's second missionary journey, this is when Paul picked up Timothy and began to travel with him. So Paul was, so Timothy was learning a lot of what was going on in Paul's life through this beginning of churches, planting churches, establishing leaders in these places. But one of the things that we, we, we read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and Paul is giving this advice to this younger man and giving him instructions and things. And oftentimes I think we can think of Timothy as just sort of, he's just sort of figuring it out, you know, and so this is why he needs these letters. But if, if we, if we were to go back and flip through just the beginning of Paul's letters, six of the 13 letters that Paul wrote, Timothy is listed as a co-author. He's in the first verse where it says, Paul, Timothy, and so-and-so writing to the Philippians, to the Colossians. Timothy is not just tagging along and figuring it out. Timothy is a part of this work that Paul is doing. Timothy was often the one, when Paul was sending a letter to someone, Paul often says, and Timothy is coming and bringing you this letter, and he's going to help you understand the things that are in it. And he's going to explain to you my way of life and the things that you need to know. So Timothy knew, I mean, if, if you want to know what are the things that Timothy heard from Paul, it's everything. It's all that Paul had been doing and been a part of. Timothy was a part of it as well. And, and yet he reminds him, he, he reminds him to guard the good deposit this good deposit, this, this sound teaching, this is, it's the gospel. It's the way of life that Paul lived. 
And it's, it's guarding it and keeping it with faith and love, with, with faithfulness, with trust in God's faithfulness. This is the thing that you are to do, to continue in the way that you live your life, to do it with a trust, a deep trust that God will be faithful. Which is important to remember because Paul is in prison, right? He's about to die. And Paul is reminding him that even in this circumstance, God is faithful. God's faithfulness doesn't just look like, hey, we live happy, healthy lives until we die peacefully. God's faithfulness, Paul is reminding Timothy, might look like you end up in prison. Might look like you are going to be executed because of your faith. That doesn't mean that God has been unfaithful. So he says, endure, keep this enduring trust in God's faithfulness. Keep the, keep this pattern in love, in the love of Christ Jesus. This is a love, God, a reminder of God's love for Timothy. God's love for the people that Timothy is ministering to. And the importance of Timothy loving those people that he's ministering to. Again, Paul and Timothy were writing these letters and, and participating in this ministry together. Timothy was there when Paul was writing, If I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And so he reminds him to keep this pattern of sound teaching, this healthy teaching in faith and love in Christ Jesus. This ministry, this work, that Paul has said, we are ambassadors of reconciliation, imploring you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the work that Timothy should not let go of. Keep it. Guard it. And why does he tell him to guard it? Why does he tell him to guard it? Okay, because wolves will come in and chew the sheep up. Yeah. What do we see in the next verse? Everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. All of them. I don't know. The, the province of Asia is not the continent of Asia that we think of today. But it's still a lot of people, right? Say all of these people have deserted Paul. Because it's getting hard. Paul, again, is in prison. He's going to die. And the people around him are afraid. There's danger that that is coming in that will destroy the deposit of this way of life of the gospel. Paul recognizes that if Timothy doesn't carry it on, that the work that Paul has been striving for might disappear. And then if Timothy, like these other people, abandon the work because it's just too hard, it's too dangerous, it may not continue. And so he challenges them and he, and he says, this, this is strong language that he's using here, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. But you're not alone. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The recognition that God is going to help you to do this. But 
you, Timothy, must do the work to maintain this way of life. To maintain this message of the gospel, even though it costs us something. And the, as I, as I read these verses, and I read about this situation that Timothy is in, and the, the fear that exists, I can't help but think that his world is a lot different from ours in some ways. None of us woke up this morning and thought, well, if I, if I show up to church, there's a chance that I'm gonna get arrested. Anybody feel that? Of course not, right? We live in a country where that is not something that we have to be afraid of. We, we have missionaries and we have friends that we support in places in the world where that is their reality. Where they are in danger for their lives, that they might be put in prison, that they'll be separated from their families, that these sorts of things will happen because of their decision to worship together. Now, I don't want to minimize that. Uh, we, we pray, we support for those people. But for us today, this is not our reality, is it? This is not how we... Uh, this, is, this is not how we operate. And so, the, the, as I reflect on this passage, what I, what I wonder is what, what is the danger for us? What, if Paul were to write, be writing this letter to me, or to you, to us, the, the church, the, the church of Berea, right? The, the Berean church here in Shoreline, Washington, and he were to be warning us to guard the good deposit. What are the things in us that cause us to slip away from the faith. It's not fear. At least it's not fear of imprisonment or execution. It's not because it's too hard or too dangerous or too scary. I think it's because it's none of those things. I think maybe it's because it's too easy. And our, and our faith, the, the choice to live, we're talking this morning in our Sunday school class with the high schoolers, the choice to live as citizens of heaven. The, the, the values of heaven are more important and more real than the values of our culture and our society. The choice to pursue the life that God has called us, the, a life of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, a life in which we, which we trust in God more than we trust in our own ability to provide for ourselves. A life in which we choose generosity towards those who are not the ones who can pay us back, but we lend out of love and, and, and faithfulness. A life that, that Paul talked about, life that Jesus talked about, like, We just get too caught up in so many other things, right? It's not that we're afraid that if we live this life we're going to get thrown in prison. It's, a, it's that there are more interesting things to do. 
and we become bored or we become distracted. We become complacent with our Christianity. There's a reason why in the first three centuries of the church, and there's a reason why in places where there's the most persecution of the church today, that these are the places where the church is growing the most. You'd think it would be the opposite, but it's because it means something. There's energy behind it. There's danger behind it. There's If we don't commit to it, it may cost us everything. And for us, if we don't commit to it, it doesn't cost us anything. We can just continue our lives and we can, we can put our faith and our way of life as just one option of many that we can pick up when it feels good, when we, when it's Sunday morning or when, uh, when we're with our church friends and we're having these conversations, but then when we don't, we get complacent. And so these ebbs and flows that we're talking about, like we make these decisions to be serious for Christ, and yet there's there's all kinds of other things that are going on. We get more caught up in the stories and events that are happening around our world that have minimal impact in our own lives. And we invest time and energy into these Stories that we can't affect at all because they're happening on the other side of the world or they're happening uh, with politicians who don't know us and aren't going to listen to us if we if we call them. They're, these events that we can get so consumed with, these stories, this whether it's, it's just television, whether it's reality TV, whether it's the reality TV that has become our political system, like all of this, right? We get caught up in those stories and the story that Christ is inviting us to live, to love our neighbor. And it means our neighbor that we aren't thinking about. And it means the people in our communities, like we're so caught up in those stories that we miss out on the gospel that God is calling us to carry and to guard here and now. Our faith and our love that that we are called to keep, uh, they get challenged by our comfort and our convenience. Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it. Hold it safe. This Thing has been passed on to you and me to, to hold on to and to protect and to care for. And the danger that, that I see in my own life and the danger that I see for us as, I would say, the, the Western church or the American church is that it's just There's no urgency behind it. There's no urgency behind whether we guard this deposit or not. Because maybe somebody else can can be the one who's serious about it. Maybe somebody else can be the one who is 
reaching those people around us. Paul says, Everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Pygelus and Hermogenes. We don't have to just say, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. To live lives that don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. There's, uh, I was trying, I was going back and forth on whether to share this, and I think I will. Um, I came across this parable that, that I would like to read to you. This is not a parable of Jesus. This is a parable that, uh, I think he's Irish, uh, who wrote this. And I'm going to share this with you. In a world where following Christ is decreed to be subversive and illegal activity, you have been accused of being a believer, arrested and dragged before a court. You have been under clandestine surveillance for some time now, and so the prosecution has been able to build up quite a case against you. They begin the trial by offering the judge dozens of photographs that show you attending church meetings, speaking at religious events, and participating in various prayer and worship services. After this, they present a selection of items that have been confiscated from your home. Religious books that you own, worship CDs, and other Christian artifacts. Then they step up the pace by displaying many of the poems, pieces of prose, and journal entries that you have lovingly written concerning your faith. Finally, in closing, the prosecution offers your Bible to the judge. This is a well-worn book with scribbles, notes, drawings, and underlinings throughout. Evidence, if it were needed, that you had read and reread this sacred text many times. Throughout the case, you have been sitting silently in fear and trembling. You know deep in your heart that with the large body of evidence that has been amassed by your prosecution, you face the possibility of a long imprisonment or even execution. At various times throughout the proceedings, you have lost all confidence and been on the verge of standing up and denying Christ. But while this thought has plagued your mind throughout the trial, you resist the temptation and remain focused. Once the prosecution has finished presenting their case, the judge proceeds to ask if you have anything to add, but you remain silent and resolute, terrified that if you open your mouth even for a moment, you might deny the charges made against you. Like Christ, you remain silent before your accusers. In response, you are led outside to wait as the judge ponders your case. The hours pass slowly as you sit under guard in the foyer waiting to be summoned back. Eventually, a young man in uniform appears and leads you into the courtroom so that you may hear the verdict and receive word of your punishment. Once seated in the dock, the judge, a harsh and unyielding man, enters the room, stands before you, looks deep into your eyes, and begins to speak. Of the charges that have been brought forward, I find the accused not guilty. Not guilty. Your heart freezes. Then in a split second, the fear and terror that had moments before threatened to strip your resolve are swallowed up by confusion and rage. Despite the surroundings, you stand defiantly before the judge and demand that he give an account concerning why you are innocent of the charges in light of the evidence. What evidence? He replies in shock. What about the poems and prose that I wrote, you reply. They simply show that you think of yourself as a poet, nothing more. But what about the services I spoke at, the times I wept in church and the long sleepless nights of prayer? Evidence that you are a good speaker and actor, nothing more, replied the judge. 
It's obvious that you deluded those around you, and perhaps at times you even deluded yourself. But this foolishness is not enough to convict you in a court of law. But this is madness, you shouted. It would seem that no evidence would convince you. Not so, replies the judge, as if informing you of a great, long-forgotten secret. The court is indifferent toward your Bible reading and church attendance. It has no concern for worship with words and a pen. Continue to develop your theology and use it to paint pictures of love. We have no interest in such armchair artists who spend their time creating images of a better world. We exist only for those who would lay down that brush and their life in a Christ-like endeavor to create a better world. So until you live as Christ and his followers, until you challenge this system and become a thorn in our side, until you die to yourself and offer your body to the flames, until then, my friend, you are no enemy of ours. This man wrote this parable, he said, after reading a bumper sticker that said, if Christianity were illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I think the 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 challenge of a parable, I don't know, I think part of the thing about parables is if you have to explain them, maybe they're not working, but I'm going to explain it to you anyway. Uh, the challenge, right, for us is... Do we just go through the motions of Christianity when it's convenient for us? If someone were to come in here to walk in and say, everyone here who claims Christ, we're sending you to prison. I, I mean, I know, I know you people. I think most of us in this room would say, okay. Let's go. Be happy to give my life for my faith, for what I believe. But on a daily basis, do we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him? Do we live lives that pursue Christ's likeness above all else? It doesn't mean we have to become missionaries or, you know, but in the way that we interact with the people around us, are we striving to act as if how Christ would act if he were in our place? Or do we just do it when it's convenient? And the verse, this, our passage ends with this, and I think this is really important for us as we think about guarding this deposit. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And I think this is really key as I, as I reflect on... What does it look like for me to guard this deposit? What does it look like for me to live a life that is not just complacent and and using Christ when it's convenient for me and ignoring him the rest of the time? Paul challenges Timothy. He says, first of all, be strong and hold fast to the grace of God. The grace of God that saves you apart from works. It's easy to start thinking about this and say, well, I just have to do more for God 
that God will be pleased with me. But part of what this message is, is no, God accepts us as we are today. And the grace of God is for me, and the grace of God is for those around me as they are today. So be strong in this grace. Do not begin to put on extra laws and expectations of this is what you have to do in order to find favor with God. But be strong in the grace. And then the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy has been entrusted with a message that he is to hold fast to. But he is then to entrust that message to someone else, to others, who can also entrust that message to others. And I think if you've ever been in a situation where you're teaching, those of you that are teachers, you find that the the material that you are teaching has a lot more impact on you as you begin to teach it to other people. Have you had this experience before? Yeah. Because you have to start taking it seriously a little bit more. And I think what part of what why Paul connects these ideas, this chapter break that we have here wouldn't have been in Paul's letter, is that we have to be more serious about what God is doing in our lives and who God is in our lives when we're not just guarding it for ourselves. And it's not just that each of us individually are, are working on this, but we have a responsibility to hand the message of the gospel on to others and to be entrusting this message to those around us. And so Paul says to Timothy, the things that you have heard and trust these things to others as we help others grasp the seriousness and we equip others to carry on this message it not only prepares others, but it prepares us to do it more fully. And this is where I want us to to land today. As we think about what does it look like for me and you to guard the deposit. Part of how we guard the deposit that has been given to us is that we also have to let go of it. We have to give it and put it in the hands of others who can then guard that deposit as well. And this may be, I want to talk to, I won't say an age, but I would like to talk to, if you consider yourself one of the older people among us this morning. This means that for you, the way in which you guard the deposit is that you bring your faith experience and your life experience, the things that God has done, and you bring that to people who are younger than you. And they don't have to be, it doesn't have to be, okay, like I'm in my 80s and I have to find somebody in their 30s or in their teens. This isn't, sometimes we think of this always as like um, a big age gap. But this maybe is just, hey, you've walked through the journey of, of retirement. And what it means to be living a life of faith as you move on from a career and and you move into a different stage of life. And, and you can see people who are entering in that stage and you 
pass on your wisdom and your struggles and your failures to those people who you see. And maybe you're in a stage where your kids are just out of college and you see people whose kids are just getting into college and you have opportunity to to share with them not just the life stories, but how does this impact your faith? And how do you walk with your children in their faith journey? Or if you've seen your children walk away from the faith and and the heartbreak that you can bring that story to the people around you. And if you are, your kids are older and you have, you see people that are walking through stages of life where they're just, their kids are young and you can talk to them about the way, or, or anything in between, all the way down to our, I mean, our, our high schoolers are here sometimes, some of them on Wednesday nights teaching our, in our Awana program. Like, all of these, in between, Susie's asking for help for Vacation Bible Adventure. Like, serving in the church is one example, but also just building relationships and taking your wisdom and experience and the things that you have heard and seen and entrusting those things to others. And sometimes this causes us, again, to think seriously about how have I been walking with God in these moments? Right? This is part of the how we guard the deposit, is that we have to stop and reflect and say, I haven't really been paying attention to God in this moment, in this transition, in this stage of my life. What is God teaching me? How do I take this more seriously? This is part of how we guard it, but we don't guard it just for ourselves. We guard it to let go, to pass it on to those around us. So, I had you at the beginning, I had you write down a name of someone who has been impactful in your faith journey. I'd like you to get that sheet of paper out again. And I would like you to write down another name. As we've been talking, maybe the Lord has been bringing a particular face or person to mind as someone who you can and trust what it is that you have been taught, what it is that you have seen. Someone that you can pour into and share from the things that God has done in your life. I'd like you to write down that person's name. It might be two, three. He says, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, reliable people. So it doesn't have to just be one. But at least one. Write down a name. And maybe, maybe you don't have someone right away. It doesn't have to be someone in this room. It could be, it doesn't have to be someone who attends this church. It can be, it can be somebody in your life. Write down that name. And what my challenge for you to do is today, even if you can get out your phone right now and, and text that person, um, but I, I encourage you to, to today contact that person. And it doesn't have to be, hey, I have this whole thing that I want to do. I have it all thought out. Just contact them and say, hey, let's get coffee this week. Or let's, can we grab lunch? Or can we set up a time to get together? I'd like to talk to you a little bit more. And, and contact that person and follow up and make this happen. The way in which we guard the deposit, 
the way in which we take our faith seriously is that we are going to pass it on to the next generation. And we don't have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. We all have our failures. Our, our faith journey has the ebbs and flows. And if you're waiting until you're at the, the peak of your faith journey before you start to pass it on to someone else, you're never going to get there. You might be feeling like you're way down here. That's okay. You still have... We, we talked last month. God chose you to do this work. He chose us to be a part of this work of the gospel. And you don't have to be anything important or feel like you have a ton to offer. You have the story that God has been telling through you this whole time to offer. And it's valuable and it's important. And and as you and and maybe this is the one person, but maybe if as we see one another, this is our responsibility, right? To challenge one another. Like my friend's mom to say, hey, actually, the choice that you're making right now doesn't line up with what I know that you value. This doesn't have to be a long-term relationship, but that the do we see one another and do we challenge one another to be guarding this deposit together? We are doing this work as a church together. And, and, we're not afraid of going to prison, but that doesn't make it easier. There are a lot of things that are pulling and distracting and, and vying for our attention as Christians today. And it takes all of us together to say, the story that I'm telling is not the story of all of these other people that they want me to tell, but it's the story of Christ. And it's the story that Christ wants to tell through me is the life that I want to live. It means we have to turn off the other stories sometimes and step away from them. And that requires sacrifice. That requires hard decisions to be made. But this life, this life is a life that is worth it. The life to follow Christ, to pursue Him above all else. Let's pray. God, as we uh, as we think about what it means to live lives for you today here in Shoreline in the greater Seattle area in the 21st century, uh, we think of the, the challenges that we face that are unique to the ones that Paul and Timothy faced. We think of our own tendencies to be complacent, to be comfortable, and the ways in which you challenge us to guard the deposit of faith, the deposit of this gospel story in our lives. We pray for wisdom as we seek to follow you well. We pray for those around us that we may live lives that impact them for the gospel. We pray for the people whose names we've written down. May you be working in their lives as you are working in our lives so that we may be a people who are entrusting 
this work to others. And may those people be people who will take up that task so that they too can entrust this work to others, who can entrust the work to others. God, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful, a God who knows what it is we need, and a God who is working in us despite our own weaknesses. Father, in your name, amen. Please stand with us and let's sing about that wondrous love. So as a benediction, this is my prayer for us this week as a church. This verse, this passage is writ Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, which is where Timothy was ministering, and he says this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to immeasurably to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.